Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today we're going to be talking about uh, a significant problem, challenge facing our country today, uh, a conversation today about the crisis in civic education. Joining me for that conversation is a very distinguished thinker and scholar and activist on this question of what should we do about civic education in America. Uh, joined today by David Davenport. David was the president of Pepperdine University for over 15 years. He then moved to the Hoover Institution at Stanford University where he was counselor to the director and then became research fellow at Stanford before joining Ashbrook, uh, graciously joining us as senior fellow here at the Ashbrook Center. He received his BA at Stanford University and his JD from the University of Kansas. David has written widely on the topic of civic education and has become one of the nation's foremost experts on the topic of not only what is the cause of the crisis, but what can we do to try to address it. David Davenport, thank you for joining us today. Jeff, great to be uh, with you and, and to be part of any kind of Ashbrook project is a pleasure for me. Well, you, you were commissioned, if I'm not mistaken, by the Hatch Foundation, named after Senator Orrin Hatch, to take on a, a question that has now become pressing for our country. What's the state of civic education and what can we do about it? Tell us a little bit about your, what is now becoming called the Hatch Report, becoming widely read around the country for its diagnosis of the situation we face. Tell us a little bit about the crisis in civic education. You're quite right. I, I had been writing about the civic education crisis, and then the Hatch Foundation contacted me because this was part of their mission as well. And they asked me if I would put together a, a significant white paper or report uh, on not only the nature of the crisis, which is mostly what I'd been calling attention to, but also getting into the downstream effects of the crisis and then finally, what would be potential solutions to the problems? So they, they caused me to stretch a little beyond, uh, I had just been pointing at the fire and calling it out, but they pushed me to go a little further and deeper, which was a very good thing. To me, the nature of the crisis is that we've more or less pushed civic education out of our schools. And, and therefore, students are not really being ca caused to study civic education anymore. Uh, and we're beginning to see some decay in our democracy, I think, because of that. We're, ra we're raising up uh, a generation of citizens and leaders who have never really studied U.S. history and civics in a way that would prepare them to be citizens and leaders. And our democracy is starting to pay a price for that. Uh, in a number of ways that I imagine we'll talk about as we go along. Some of the biggest evidence, I think, of the crisis is we do this nation's report card, they call it, the national testing of various subjects in schools. Unfortunately, we only test civics and history now in the eighth grade. Um, a lot of other subjects are tested every two years, some at least 
in fourth, eighth, and 12th grades. We only do civics and history in the eighth grade. In the most recent administration of that test, only 24% of American eighth graders were proficient or better in U.S. history, I'm sorry, in, in government and civics, and only 15% in U.S. history, which are, you know, Secretary of Education called those shocking, you know, results. But that's, unfortunately, they're not shocking in the sense that they've been in decline for a long time and nobody's done much about it. So it's pretty, it is a pretty shocking number, as you say. Um, and the way you, the, I am interested in your phrase that civic education has been pushed out of the curriculum, pushed out. What do you mean by pushed out? And in what grades are you talking about that it's been pushed out of? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. My own theory is that it's not been pushed out because of any active opposition to the teaching of civics and history, but it's been pushed out by other priorities. Uh, and you know, it's the old uh, sometimes the enemy of the of the good is the best, and so we think we have the best way to approach education. Uh, which helps other subjects, but hurts civics and history. And, and that, I think that's what's happened here. First, we had the, the movement toward uh, reading and math and much more national testing about that. Um, that. The need for that was kind of exposed by a nation at risk study back in the 1980s. It was acted upon by No Child Left Behind in the early 2000s requiring lots of, of, of testing in reading and math. And the concern was that we were falling behind international peers. Uh, and that's what caused this heavier emphasis. And I document that in the Hatch Report about how much more time teachers now must spend preparing for and administering these tests in, in reading and math. Then the second uh, thing that came along was STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math. And again, we felt like we were falling behind international peers in science and in technology, and that we needed to do much more teaching in that area. And frankly, the federal government has spent billions of dollars uh, on STEM. Um, and so, you know, the school day is only so many hours and the school year is only so many months. And so if you're gonna suddenly do a lot more testing and reading and math and STEM, something has to give way. And the, the subjects that have lost ground in the curriculum are basically the humanities and social sciences. And unfortunately that includes US history and civics. They've been pushed out almost entirely from the elementary and middle school curriculum. You get almost nothing in those years. And then it's been reduced to basically a one semester course in most states um, on, on civics. So, We've come a long way from the days when you, you had history and civics starting in elementary school right on through, and in high school, you would have had several exposures to it, to now this very minimal and, and I think completely inadequate approach. What, what do you see? I mean, as, this, is, this is pretty alarming in the numbers you're talking about here, because you're talking about a kind of uh, wholesale removal maybe is too strong, but pushing out the phrase you use, pushing out of history and civics education. And it, particularly ironic when I think about it because to a large degree, the public education system was begun over a hundred years ago for the sake of making good citizens. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, as well as I do, Jeff, that the founders believed if you were gonna have a free Republic, then you needed an educated citizenry. That's the only way that was gonna work. 
Uh, and so the primary purpose even, as you say, not just one of the purposes, but the primary purpose of public schooling in those early days, according to the founders, was to prepare people to be good citizens. And it was about history and civics. And uh, as you say, we've, we've largely now, I, 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 would, I would take the word abandonment. We've largely abandoned that as even a primary purpose of the schools. And I think our democracy is paying uh, quite a price for that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because you used a kind of arresting phrase in the Hatch Report. You've said, this is our Sputnik moment. Right. With respect to civic education. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, we have had two or three moments in our history when we felt like our educational system was inadequate and needed a major reform or boost. And one of those was certainly uh, in the late 50s when the Soviet Union beat us to space with their Sputnik satellite. And so we had a Sputnik moment where we thought, oh my goodness, we are behind. Uh, and so in addition to spending more money and, and targeting bolder ventures in space, we also realized we needed to go back and put more technology and science into our educational programming. Another such moment was this a nation at risk report during the Reagan presidency when we realized we were falling behind international peers. So what we seem to have responded to in these moments of educational crisis is when we're falling behind either in terms of job opportunities so like STEM education, preparing students for those, or falling behind international peers. My argument is that the evidence of poor civic education is the state of our democracy. And isn't it at least as important <laughs> that we have a robust and effective government and republic and democracy than that people can get good technology jobs or perform well vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese and the Japanese in international testing. And so I think we're beginning slowly to awaken to that problem. Um, I think fewer people are awakening to the fact that the civics is really the underlying foundation of solving that problem, improving civic education. Yeah. So the crisis is, as you say, um, a crisis of facts and information. You also talk about in the Hatch Report some of the downstream effects, which you might say is part of the crisis itself, which is um, not just uh, understanding facts, but understanding American principles and having a kind of shared sense of history that builds civic trust and trusted institutions. Right. What's the crisis there? Well, I did trace in the Hatch Report, I traced three downstream effects, which I think are arguably caused by poor civic education. Frankly, there needs to be more research done on the causal link. But at the very least, I think there's pretty strong evidence that they would all be, these problems would all be ameliorated, improved, helped by better civic education, even if the poor civic education was not a direct cause. The Three I trace in the report are uh, trust in, in our leaders, including widely lack of trust in our political and government leaders. And this is especially high among young people. I mean, you can just look at the ages on these uh, studies of trust and older generations still have a reasonable amount of trust, although it's down, but young people have a precipitously low uh, expression of trust in leaders of all kinds, including especially government and political leaders. And as I say in the Hatch Report, how can you trust what you don't understand? If you don't have a good understanding of how government works, you're not going to have a, a lot of trust for it. 
The second downstream effect, which I think is tied to the first, is uh, poor voter turnout. Um, we, we have very poor voter turnout historically, especially among young people. And, and we talk about how young people are the future, but if young people aren't going to participate in the most basic of our rights and responsibilities, voting, uh, that's not going to really make a lot of difference. The third I track is how policy debates get skewed by poor civic education. And the example I pick is the flurry of interest we have seen by young people in socialism. Um, and yet, if you really scratch through below the surface of that, they don't really know what socialism is. Uh, and, and although they support lots of free market stuff, they still say they want socialism. Well, it, it turns out that really what they want is more welfare uh, as opposed to actually a socialist government. But that whole debate gets skewed because there's not a good understanding of what socialism is and what, what economic forms exist and how they work. So um, those are some of the downstream effects we see. And, and frankly, you know, kind of the whole, um, you know, people are aware that kind of the whole riot at the Capitol situation and protest reflects a lot of misunderstanding of the role of the electoral process and the electoral college and electors and just, you know, to show up at Congress to protest in such a violent way uh, on the day they're just literally counting votes <laughs> that came in from the states, properly so, um, again, reflects some civic misunderstanding. So there's there's plenty of evidence of downstream effects. And would you also say that um, the kind of civic and social division that we're seeing in very polarized uh, population on lots of issues, is it fair to say that some of that is caused by uh, Americans not having a shared understanding of our own history or a sense of shared common principles? Sure. I mean, um, what you know, what you learn if you go back in history is that American history is that people had very strong disagreements throughout our history, but found ways to express and work through those. And, and so one thing young people lack is sort of that perspective that, um, yes, you can have serious problems and you can have serious disagreements, but you can still talk through and work through those in a, in a sort of rational way. And so once again, if not, if poor civic education, if not the cause of some of that would certainly be a powerful solution. If students could go back and study how we worked our way through certainly the civil war period, although obviously, uh, far more contentious than today, how we worked our way through the depression and the New Deal. I mean, there's just a constant set of lessons there about how to deal with problems and, and the serious problems America has faced before. And, and students are by and large just not familiar with all that. Right. That's uh, on the that's the crisis. It's not just a crisis, as you say, of facts and information, but also of understanding and kind of um, devotion and shared identity as Americans and all those downstream effects that you talk about. Um, I, I hesitate to raise the big question, so what do we do about it? <laughs> so what do we do about it? Okay, well, I, I have two broad answers and then we can go deeper where you'd like. Uh, we need more civic education and we need better civic education. Those are kind of my two, the two planks of my solution platform. We need more civic, civic education. So we need more teaching of civic education at the elementary and, and middle school levels where, um, and the analogy I use, my dad was a baker. 
So I love thinking about baking analogies. And in this case, I think what we used to do is bake a layer cake out of civics and history. In other words, we, we saw the layers that you could teach effectively in kindergarten and first grade, and we laid those down. And then we realized by third and fourth grade, you could stack something a little more difficult and, and sophisticated on top of that. So that by the time you got to the high school civics course, um, you, you had laid, you, you had developed quite a cake and this became more like the top layer to really draw it all together. Well, if you don't do anything now in, in elementary and secondary school, middle school, which is close to where we are in many states, by the time you get to a single semester course in high school, it's kind of too little too late. I mean, they don't have the vocabulary for it. They don't have basic understanding. Um, they aren't even reading uh, 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 great biographies of Abraham Lincoln and, 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 and so forth. Uh, Edie Hirsch points out in his book that in education more broadly, we've gotten away from knowledge and more toward teaching skills. So he uses the example, instead of reading an autobiography of Abraham Lincoln or Frank, Benjamin Franklin, to, to, to both gain the knowledge and the skills involved in reading, we read Tyler Makes Pancakes. And uh, you know, kids are going to like that more, and they're going to warm up and relate to it, um, and they're going to develop reading skills. But Tyler making pancakes doesn't really help you learn any history or civics. So the knowledge has really been discounted in the education process. And then in high school, personally, I think the gold standard is a full year course in civics, not a single semester. And I think it needs to be required in all 50 states. We don't even require civics in all 50 states at the moment. In fact, there's a, I have a call later today with someone who's involved. Uh, high school students in Rhode Island are, have sued their educational system and their educational leaders for having an inadequate civic education. Wow. There's been no requirement of civics in Rhode Island. So, so students, students recognize the crisis so much that they actually are asking, demanding for more exactly, civic education. Exactly. They said, we don't know about jury duty. We don't know about voting. We're not taught any of those. And those are, our, those are duties of all citizens, not just leaders. So we need more civics. I think actually that, well, these, these are tied for the number one priority, but I, I talk a lot about the need for more. One reason I like more is that it's sort of non-controversial. Uh, I think all of us could get behind restoring the primacy of civic education and US history education of, of realizing that it's not all about STEM, for example, and about getting computer jobs. I think a lot of us can get behind that regardless of our point of view. The second plank of my platform is better civic education. And there's where you could have disagreements. Uh, people might have different perspectives on how you get to better civic education. Um, my own view is the Ashbrook view. Uh, and as you know, I've, I've become a big fan of Ashbrook because of this. I think the, the secret sauce that Ashbrook has discovered that is probably the single most powerful way to get to better civic education is the use of primary documents. And uh, I think that's, that's less controversial than a lot of other approaches. It's less boring than, than textbooks and other approaches widely used. It's not memorizing facts. It's, it's engaging students in the issues and the debates of the day. And, and thereby giving them tools to make them better citizens of their time. And uh, so um, while there are many other things, I think iCivics has done a nice job of developing some games and ways to engage students more than just you know, rote learning by textbook. 
there are lots of other tools that are worthwhile. Um, the one you've developed in primary documents is actually, I think, the most powerful and important one. Well, it's pretty remarkable when you say the need for more civic education. I was just thinking about uh, a statistic that I saw not that long ago, which is that um, maybe not even half, if, if it's half, it's barely half of the states in the United States require in high school any U.S. history prior to the Civil War. So that would be, for example, the American founding, which means that students in uh, many, many, many places around the country never study the American founders or founding after about eighth grade or seventh grade. That's and, pretty remarkable. And what could be more important to understanding our dem democracy republic today than understanding its original purposes and, and the original debates behind those purposes and building a link to the foundation of our country um, as part of understanding better how to, how to operate it today. I mean, I, I just can't imagine um, any more important era to be studying and, and any less <laughs> of a priority to cut than, than the founding. That's just shocking to me. I'm Chad Kiefer, Director of Philanthropy and Strategic Partnerships here at Ashburn. At its heart, America's story is about the lives of patriots who have given their last full measure of devotion to preserve and protect what it means to be an American. But the tragic truth is that the American story is being rewritten as one of oppression and despair. Back in 1776, the founders took a chance when they created a new government built on principles of liberty. They took a chance on America. Now I'm challenging you to do the same. Your gift to Ashbrook today reaches students, teachers, and citizens across the country, helping them to understand why America is worthy of their devotion. With so many forces eroding our history and taking away from our principles, isn't it time we give America a chance? Your investment is encouraged now more than ever. Please visit us today at ashbrook.org backslash support. Well, on the better side, you mentioned primary documents, which obviously is the thing that we value very highly here at Ashbrook. But you, you mentioned that they're better than textbooks. In the Hatch Report, you do discuss textbooks a little bit and mention them. And I know you've done work since then on textbooks. Uh, probably some of, ours are, of our listeners are thinking, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with textbooks in American history and civics? Yeah, they. I, I would say the two, the, uh, the two Bs are <laughs> would summarize the problems I have with textbooks: boring and biased. Um, <laughs> There's probably a lot of grade schoolers listening to this that would agree with you. <laughs> Tell us what you mean. <laughs> well, so the boring one is, you know, American history is full of interesting flavors and debates and and so forth. But what textbooks must do in order to get through the material, which is the bane, I think, of every teacher's existence. We have to get through the material. Um, what textbooks do in order to get through the material is they take out all of the interesting texture and they just reduce it to a few sentences. And, and in fact, I've done just a little bit of teaching through Ashbrook for history teachers. And, and I found that even they, I mean, when I assigned them to read, or I should say you assigned them to read, um, uh, speeches by Roosevelt and Hoover when we were talking about the Depression and the New Deal and legislation that was passed at, in the first hundred days of the New Deal. 
the teachers hadn't read any of those things themselves. You know, they just, what do they get about the Agriculture Adjustment Act? They get a one paragraph summary in a textbook and then they move on to the next bill. Well, there's some pretty interesting stuff in the Agricultural Adjustment Act as the teachers discovered in my little seminar that day. And, and um, so I, what I like, what I like there, there's a couple of things that I think help people understand the value of this. One is, I like to say that when you're studying American history, you should go through TSA and travel back to the period that you're going to study. And one of the things that TSA should confiscate when you go through that screening is your 21st century glasses. Uh, because if we wear our current glasses back into studies of history, then we're, we're sort of missing learning what the, could be learned from their period. And we're layering our 21st century wisdom, quote unquote, and judgments onto them. And we need to study them on their own terms for their own sake. So I like to, I like to think of TSA actually removing our 21st century glasses before we travel back. The second thing is, I remember when I was a kid, I, I loved reading a series of books called We Were There. We were there when you know Abraham Lincoln did this, and we were there when the first airplane flew with the Wright brothers, and we were there. So what did it do? It took me back in history to see what it was really like sort of at that time. And, and I think that's what students need today. I think they need to take off their 21st century glasses and they need to go back and see and say, we're there. And we're gonna see what were the debates and what were the important issues and what can we learn from those? And it's both a lot more interesting for students than the boring textbooks. And to come to the second B, it's not biased. They can reach their own conclusions about the debate between Herbert Hoover and Franklin Roosevelt, rather than some textbook drawing a conclusion about them. Um, and uh, uh, so, and, and as you know, there are textbook wars. I mean, textbook publishers have to publish one version of their book for Texas school board and a different version for the California school board. And, you know, every state has their political red and blue biases and that affects what the textbooks say. Well, primary documents, we don't get into that. You just, you read the debates between Hoover and Roosevelt and students can reach their own conclusions. That's to me, that's what education is about. It's not, it shouldn't be indoctrination, which is what textbooks are likely to do at their best. Uh, it's about developing judgment and insight and, and students like that. And as your surveys and evidence have pointed out, they also learn more that way. Uh, they perform better on standardized testing. So I think it's a win-win and, and I applaud Ashbrook's efforts. And as you know, I just wish we were reaching more teachers and more schools and more classes, though you've dramatically increased that. Um, we need to be reaching every social science history of teacher in the country with the power of primary documents, either to supplement what they're already doing or maybe even to boldly replace a lot of what they're now doing. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Because as you're saying, education is really not just about ingest passively ingesting information from a textbook or being indoctrinated by a certain point of view, but about discovering that truth for yourself, as you put it, to, to, to having that conversation and thinking it through. Um, one of the one of the barriers or one of the challenges to making, to having, and wouldn't it be great if the country were full of those kind of classrooms in K through 12, right? That kind Absolutely. of vibrant conversation, digging into the past, thinking about these deep questions and, and having a real conversation about them. Um, one of the challenges though is 
not simply the use of textbooks, but also the education that teachers get or don't get. And this is something that you have also talked and written about. What's the problem with the education that, or the lack of opportunity that teachers have today when they're training for learning to teach American history and civics? You know, my eyes were open to this actually by your predecessor at Ashbrook, Roger Beckett, who was the executive director when I first discovered Ashbrook. And Roger, in describing his own experience, uh, went to a major university to get a master's in education and become a teacher. And he was so disillusioned by that education to become a teacher that that, I think, sent him to Ashbrook to, to, be, to emphasize some different kinds of preparation. So as Roger pointed out, and I've later been able to document this through my own research, what schools of education teach is, is what we call pedagogy, how to teach, but they don't teach anything about content, what to teach. So what you end up with is teachers who come into the classroom with some training on how to manage a classroom and how to present material uh, and how to deal with today's students and that sort of thing. But they haven't been required uh, either as undergraduates or certainly not in their masters of education, if that's what they have, to learn much content. And, and frankly, state standards in the civics and history area are notoriously poor in my opinion in terms of what they require about content knowledge. So um, what happens is you have teachers who maybe are just a few pages ahead of the students in the textbook. And all they know about the Agricultural Adjustment Act of the 1930s is the one paragraph in the textbook, but it's only because they read that two days before the students did, or maybe even the night before uh, the students did. So they're not able to make things interesting and add texture and bring things to life um, because they themselves had a poor content, may have had a poor content education. So we have problems in our schools of education. We have problems in our state accreditation standards of teachers. Um, and you're quite right. It really has to start with the teachers. We had, when I became president of Pepperdine, my predecessor, this was in the 80s, had launched a new computer literacy initiative for students. And it wasn't really getting a lot of traction. So when I became president, I kind of studied why not. And the answer was, the teachers themselves were not computer literate. And oh, so that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> wildly successful student initiative if the teachers weren't prepared. So I think it's sort of the same thing in American history and civics that the starting point, to, if we really want to rejuvenate the quality of civic education, it has to really start with the teachers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think about all, all of our listeners who have ever had a great teacher. Yes. It, 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 they almost always share the characteristics that they know their subject really well. Right. They love their subject and they right. love teaching students. Right. And if they have those three qualities, everything else kind of flows from that. At least certainly than my own experience with the great teachers that I've had. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as I, as I learned that myself and moved through college and law school, what I came to do was to choose when you could choose your own courses and teachers, I would by and large ignore the course topic and I would choose the best teachers because I knew I was gonna learn the most that way. And uh, actually in law school, I would sign up every semester for one or two more classes than I really meant to take. 
and I would go to all of them the first week and drop the two most boring ones <laughs> because I knew I wasn't going to be learning anything. You know? So you're right. Nothing more valuable on the quality side. I, if, 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 in my opinion, state legislatures might be the key on the more quantity side, I think teacher preparation and training is probably the key on the quality side of civics and history teaching. Well, that raises to my mind the question I have about your solutions, which is, well, these are important solutions, more civic education, history and government education, better civic education, but who should be doing it? How do we get there from where we are right now? Well, I call this, and I mean to be optimistic in, 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 in my conclusion, um, because this is not a problem where we have to wait for Washington to solve it. You know, we don't have to solve the Washington gridlock problem before we can address uh, the civics crisis, for example. We don't have to wait for Bill Gates or Warren Buffett to decide they're going to invest their billions of dollars in it, though that would be lovely if, if they had good ideas as well as good money. Um, so I'm optimistic in the sense that we don't have to wait for some omnibus solution from some great wealthy decider because there are lots of levels at which we can and should be working on the problem and they all hold promise for improvement. So for starters, when Ronald Reagan left office, you probably know Jeff in his farewell address, the last thing he said in his farewell address in kind of giving a warning to the American people was, we have lost the priority of each generation passing to the next the importance of citizenship and the duties and responsibilities of that. And so he said, we must restore the family dinner table <laughs> as a place for teaching about American history and civics. And he's so right. I mean, it, it begins in the family and the kind of conversations you have in the family and the kind of books that you read to your kids and encourage them to read. Maybe you could skip Tyler Makes Pancakes and, and read them a great you know, biography at night. So it sort of starts there. And obviously that means lots of people could be involved. It, it sort of moves from there, I would say, to civic groups and communities. And, and we all know civic groups that stand at the schoolhouse door and pass out copies of the constitution and sponsor oratorical uh, contests. The uh, US Chamber of Commerce Foundation is in the process of developing a civics B, which I think is a great idea. It engages kids in studying you know, that subject and competing to know more about civics than somebody else. Well, that's, I'm, I'm good with that. Then it obviously it goes to teachers we've talked about, it goes to classrooms. But I, I think a big responsibility is in the state capitals because they're the ones that could, that do decide how much civics and history we're going to study. And if we're going to begin requiring it again in elementary and middle school, if we're going to require it in high school, a one-year course, not a one-semester course, all that's gonna happen in state legislatures. And I'm a little frustrated that right now they're stuck on debating, you know, banning this idea and that idea and so forth. And what they need to be doing is stepping up to a more serious responsibility of making sure we're all studying some civics and history and let the educators kind of work out a little more of how that's done. Um, then, I mean, I, you and I, Jeff, I think are not huge fans of the federal government carrying a lot of responsibility in education. And, and I continue to believe that K through 12 education is a state and local matter, not a federal matter. But if the federal government is going to spend money, 
on education, which they have been doing since the 60s, um, they ought to be spending some money. And more than that, I think using their national platform to speak out about the importance of civics. So to me, it's the solution is what I call all hands on deck. It's, it's not waiting around for Washington or Warren Buffett. It's all hands on deck and we can all make a difference. And uh, that to me, that's an optimistic story. Almost everybody who hears this podcast is gonna be able to do something about it. Yeah, that is an optimistic uh, story. Is your sense that when you're out writing on this, when you're out speaking around the country, is your sense that people are waking up to the crisis, that they starting to feel the situation and the urgency of it? Or do you feel like you still need to keep yelling fire? Well, I would call it, Jeff, I would characterize the response as a slow awakening. <laughs> I don't, to me, it's a crisis. The house is on fire. I don't understand why we are you know, sounding the alarms and taking serious action. Um, um, that's, I'm more at that level, but I hear people at least slowly awakening to it. So I think I have to keep calling out the crisis. Um, and then to the people who, be, who are awakening to it, I think we need to point out to them what could and should be done about it. I am seeing progress. I mean, I am seeing states add <coughs> elementary and middle school requirements for the teachings of civics and history. I'm seeing increasing in testing. I'm seeing increasing in the training of teachers and of the use of primary documents. So I'm seeing progress, but, but we're facing, oh, maybe 40, 50 years of decline. And that's not gonna turn around in a year. Uh, so we're on the front end of, I think, a pretty slow awakening and long-term campaign to, to turn this around. That's Are, how I would characterize yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a very important kind of sober uh, reflection. But are you ultimately, in the end, optimistic? Uh, I am. Uh, I, I think these I think these curricular questions tend to be kind of pendular. Uh, the pendulum swings one way toward STEM education for a while, and then we awaken that, oh, we, we've probably swung too far in one direction and too far away from another direction. Um, the problem is that, that just as the problem develops slowly over decades, uh, unfortunately, I think that means the solutions face the same sort of long timeline. So I'd like to see it move a lot faster, but I, I am hopeful that it is moving in a better direction. And I think it will continue to do so. We face some obstacles. Uh, we, we face um, the political dividedness of the country and the fact that uh, as, as I say in some of my writings about this, as the 20th century writer Thomas Mann said, everything is politics. Well, everything is politics now. Art is politics, biology is politics, everything's politics. Well, unfortunately, civics and history are political too. And so that's kind of an obstacle to improvement. I mean, that, it's, that sort of gets in the way. Um, but I am optimistic that we are gonna work our way toward greater progress. Uh, I have to be or else I couldn't continue to work on it. <laughs> And, and we want to thank you so much for your continuing to work on that for, for us at Ashbrook, but for more broadly, David, for the country. Uh, so much of your work is dedicated to uh, the long-term civic health of our nation and to saving what Lincoln called the last best hope of Earth. We yep. thank you so much for those efforts. I made a conscious decision, Jeff, about 2015. Um, 
that politics was becoming a less promising solution to our problems. And that to go a layer deeper, even policy was gonna be more, a more difficult solution to a lot of our problems because politics was getting in the way. And I asked myself, where could I go even deeper that might have a, a longer lasting effect on improving and saving our republic? And I concluded that civic education was the place to make that investment. So for this last phase of my career, however long I have, uh, I've decided that's what I wanna work on. Well, thank you again for your efforts on that. I wanna thank you so much for joining us today and for our listeners for joining us to start thinking seriously about the causes and the solutions to the crisis in civic education that we face. David Davenport, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The American Idea, a production of the Ashbrook Center. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. Subscribe for more at ashbrook.org slash AmericanIdeaPod and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AMIdeaPodcast. From the Schramm Library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sickenga.